Are you ready for the quantum age? Humanity's next step in evolution? Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you to the extraordinary platform of evolutionary voices for the quantum age. Let's explore. Learn more about this upcoming age where we bridge science with spirituality. Where potentiality meets reality. Where we take compassion into action. Our trailblazers and visionaries will ask the whys, the what ifs, while igniting continuous possibility. Come along with us into an age beyond what we know today, where we can grow together in unity consciousness. Experience evolutionary voices for the quantum age, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on DreamVision7Radio.com. Welcome to What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley, inviting you to open to the radical notion that in your life, whatever you perceive to be in your way is the way. In other words, your challenges, whether they be relationships, compulsions, finances, or illness, come with gifts embedded in them that can bring healing and allow you to experience the joy of being fully alive. Mary is a counselor, awakening mentor, inspirational speaker, and the author of What's in the Way is the Way, the gift of our compulsions, belonging to life, and the magical forest of aliveness. What's in Your Way is the Way with Mary O'Malley is part of Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Welcome to what's in your way is the way. And I am your host, Mary O'Malley. And today we are exploring meeting our fear, the way home. For it is the dawn that has come, as it has come for a thousand centuries, never failing. But when that dawn will come, or our emancipation from the fear of bondage and the bondage of fear. Why, that is a secret. Alan Patton Everything we have explored so far is an invitation back into life, into the only moment that matters, now. Lift your eyes. Look around. This is your life. All of the creativity that has happened since the beginning of the universe has made this moment possible. Your life in this moment is dependent upon absolutely everything that has happened before. At one time, there were no eyes on the planet. And now you can see, because of all life's experimentation in figuring out how to see. The same is true for your individual life. Every single experience you've ever had, both the easy and the difficult, have led you to this one where, for maybe just a brief second, you are connecting with life. This moment is part of a grand adventure that is using absolutely everything in order to bring you to awakening. On one level, it looks as if you are working and shopping, eating and sleeping, struggling and playing. But the truth is that only one thing is happening, and it is that life inside of you and each one of us is experiencing itself. In our yearning to connect, we're beginning to understand that we do not need to find our way home by trying to get somewhere else. Rather, it comes in cultivating a relationship with what takes us away. It comes in our willingness to see with great tenderness the story we've lived in our whole lives. It is a story that fills up our heads, clouding over the truth of who we really are. The main beliefs of this story that we are exploring are our fear and our fear of fear, our judgments of ourselves and others, our resistance to pain, our belief 
that controlling life will bring us the peace we long for. So let us now explore fear. Coming to know fear. Most people guard against going into the fire and so they end up in it. Rumi. Fear is at the foundation of the mind that believes it is separate from life. We all have fear. Even when our lives are going well, it is still there, concealed in the core of our inner story, running us from underneath our everyday awareness. We fear the unknown. We fear our so-called inadequacy. We fear the dark side within us. We fear our constant companion death, and ultimately, we fear life. Fear not only causes us to lean away from life, resisting what we don't like, but it also causes us to lean forward, trying to grab a hold of something, anything, that will quell our fear. Unable to stand in the present, we miss our lives. We are like the little boy who had to live in a plastic bubble because he had no immune system. We wander around in a bubble of fear, not even recognizing how much fear runs us. Nor do we notice how much it keeps us separate from life. Fearing our fear, we are always trying to contain it. But it is only in cultivating a relationship with fear that it can invite us into life rather than leave us caught in struggle and disconnection. This new relationship with fear begins when we see it is a powerful and mysterious force. It penetrates all of physical life. Think of the sea anemone rapidly closing itself if it perceives that danger is near. Even bacteria viewed under a microscope when touched by a probe, will scurry away in a flurry of reaction. Survival fear compels the various forms of life to discover creative ways to adapt to the forces that threaten their existence. The chameleon learns to change color so that predators won't see it. The gazelle becomes a very fast runner. Plants create toxins that were poisonous to those who might eat them into extinction, and lions and tigers and bears had their claws, teeth, and strength. When humans showed up on the scene, fear was necessary to survival. The world was an awesome and powerful place, and humans were relatively small and fragile. One day there'd be plenty of food, and the next day none. There could be freezing cold and life-threatening droughts, animals that could tear us limb from limb, storms and floods, earthquakes and erupting volcanoes, crippling or fatal accidents, and diseases. Instead of strength, camouflage, or speed, we had a survival tool that the other species did not have, our minds. With this tool, we set out to control our environment. In order to overcome the fear of extinction, we tame fire so that food and warmth were more plentiful. We learned to stalk and kill game that was far more powerful than we were. And we studied plants, learning both their healing and their destructive properties. Our skills at propagating food are so developed that no one on our planet needs to starve. And our ability to respond to medical trauma is so astounding that even a heart attack is not necessarily a death blow. We have come a long way from the caves where we were constantly threatened by our environment. But as we took on the ability to think, we also began to experience a different kind of fear, psychological fear, which took us into an ever-tightening web of the need to control. 
We may have lessened the threats to our survival, but controlling our environment didn't make fear go away. In fact, it made it worse in some ways. For as we learned to control, we moved away from intimate contact with life. That left us on the outside, looking in. Also, in order to cope with this, we directed our energy to denying, ignoring, resisting, and trying to control life. With all of our energy directed toward managing our experience, fear had free reign in our inner world. Most of us, most of the time, live in some level of fear. We fear that life won't give us what we want. We fear that it will give us what we don't want. We fear that we are not enough, and we fear we are too much. We fear our power, and we fear that we are not powerful enough. In other words, we fear living, and we fear dying. We believe that if we just gather more things, make more money, have good enough experiences, then fear will finally leave us. And for moments it does, but it always comes back. We finally accumulate enough money only to find ourselves afraid it will vanish. We starve ourselves into a size four and then are afraid of gaining a pound. We are afraid of fear, and because of that, fear runs us. You can see it in our relationship to life. Oh, it's too much or not enough. In politics, they are the enemy. In our religions, if you don't do it right, you will go to hell. And of course, in our race relations, I hate and fear that you and yours look different from me and mine. Fear is hypervigilant, dividing life into polarities and deciding which is safe and which is unsafe. From the framework of fear, survival means divide and conquer. All you have to do is look at history to see the handiwork of fear. This me-against-you way of being with one another was a necessary phase in the evolution of humanity, but we can now see clearly that the price we pay for living in fear, it keeps us caught in the separate, struggling mind cutting us off from belonging to life and thus cutting us off from connecting with the joy of showing up for the adventure that is our lives. Relating to fear, opening what has been closed, letting light in, you stir, move again, keening, arching, dying to the warmth so many times my god so many triumphs within each of your darknesses opening what has been closed letting light in m claire there is a new level of consciousness calling to us a level that uses fear as a powerful tool rather than letting it run our lives. It speaks of inclusion rather than exclusion, trust rather than fear, and responding to life rather than trying to manage it. 2,500 years ago, the Buddha opened into this level of consciousness. He saw through the fears that had been running humankind for so long. In the Four Noble Truths, he spoke of the suffering inherent in living from the struggling, wanting, resisting mind. And he said, there is a way out of this maze of struggle. 2,000 years ago, Jesus also saw beyond the body of fear we have taken on. He reminded us that we can live from love, love of God, love for one another, and love for self. He knew the truth that we are birthed by love, we are breathed by love, and we are being healed by love. And he said this truth 
would set us free. For the past 2,500 years, we have been digesting what these and other aware beings have offered to us, and we now find ourselves living in a time of great transformation. We stand on the threshold of realizing that we are bigger than the fear that has run us for so, so long. Realizing this, then fear becomes a doorway, leading us beyond our illusion of isolation and separation into our inherent connection and wholeness. What we are waking into is not about getting rid of fear, because we've learned that whatever we resist becomes stronger. It is about getting to know fear so that we relate to it with equanimity and wisdom rather than trying to control it. Becoming bigger than fear takes us beyond the illusion of isolation and separation. In mythic terms, fear is the guardian at the doorway. It guards the sense of belonging to and trusting life that is our birthright. And we are required to embark on a heroic inner journey to claim this treasure. To meet the fear that separates us from life is a Herculean task, one that will invite us to access our most passionate commitment, our deepest intelligence, and our highest creativity. To meet our fear is to be initiated into who we truly are. In the marrow of our bones, every single one of us knows this is true. All the stories in which the hero meets the serpent in the deep, challenges wicked witches, or stands against invading dark forces are speaking about us meeting our fears. The witches and goblins and serpents that lie in the very depth of our inner world are just very sacred parts of us that need our compassionate curiosity in order to be healed. Those who have traveled the depth and the breadth of the inner journey, meeting their fears in their process, capture our attention and our admiration. We were so enamored by Buddha, Jesus, and Muhammad that we created religions around them. Great painters who depict the signposts along the inner way become timeless in our imagination. Poets who speak to our heart are still in print after hundreds and even thousands of years. And yet, most of us have not yet fully committed to this inner journey. We are so terrified of what lies inside that we have seduced ourselves into thinking that this is something only certain special people can do. However, if we listen carefully to those who have made this journey, we will hear woven throughout everything they say an invitation to go within and the assurance that it is absolutely safe to meet and go through our fears. A friend of mine lost her 10-year-old son to a tragic accident after which her 11-year-old daughter spiraled down into a labyrinth of pain. For years, it permeated and penetrated her life, and my friend felt overwhelmed watching her daughter struggle so deeply. Years later, my friend shared with me something her now adult daughter wrote when she began to healing from all of this pain. It is called Through. There is one thing that I have been going around for years, this thing that I must go through. I have gone to the left of it and to the right of it. I've climbed over it and tunneled under it. But unless you go through it, it won't take you to where you want to be. You'll end up someplace else, which is where I find myself once again. This ritual passage through is something that I have feared and sought to avoid for so many years. And it can be avoided for lifetimes even, but eventually we must all make the journey through. I realize this now. I feel it physically. It's time. 
There will continue to be excuses that I could use to abort this decision. There will always be excuses, especially for an imaginative and rebellious mind. But I am committed now. I know the rewards will be great. I have always known this. Just I have always known that I would make it to this light I seek that lies at the mythical but very real other side. It is hard not to judge myself very harshly for trying so long and so laboriously to overcome this obstacle by doing everything except going through. Then again, that spirit that drove me to the hot sands of Crete, the misty streets of Munich, and the icy waters of Alaska is the same spirit that brings me to where I am today, which is face to face with this thing I have run from for so long. And although I have not yet gone through it, there is a small particle of peace that comes from simply looking it in the eye. It is ever so slightly smaller than I thought. It is definable not infinite. I cannot deny the feeling of defeat I have for not having found a clever way around this. There is a part of me that feels if I were just a little smarter, I could have made it. And I still feel that there are crafty people out there who have made it successfully around, even though I know that's probably not true. Nevertheless, I feel inferior to these fictitious demagogues who have beaten the system. I wanted with all my heart to be one of them, but I guess I'll just have to settle for simply getting there, even if I do have to trudge through it in the regular old way. <laughs> through comes from the willingness to be present for our fears. Paying attention to them with curiosity and a merciful heart is what takes us beyond the struggling mind. As she said, but unless you go through it, it won't take you to where you want to be. It does take time and commitment to learn the art of seeing fear rather than always being lost in it. If we even had a glimpse of the power of being fully present for our fears, we would have very little hesitation about opening to them. But since we've lived in wanting, disliking, resisting, and managing our whole lives, most of us don't have a clue about the enormous power of giving compassionate attention to our fear, to our pain. As we slowly and gradually move out of what we think we know and what we think we should be, and cultivate the art of being with what is, especially when fear is up, we begin to reap the benefits. The more we see our fear, the more we can know that the centered and alive place that exists beneath the constant conversation in our heads is always with us, right here, right now. The journey within. To know it's a real decision and your real life when you feel fear and a beckoning at the same time. David White. In order to meet our fears, we must be willing to look inside of ourselves. I once talked to a psychologist who said that most of the people he works with are terrified of even closing their eyes, of letting go of the familiarity of the external orientation. We may be afraid of life, but we are far more afraid of fear. We fervently hope that if we just move fast enough, collect enough material things, and stave off death by the illusion of a perfect body and a perfect life, Fear will leave us alone. But there comes a time in life that life will not let us run away anymore. For some, this comes on their deathbed. If we're open, life will move us into meeting and transforming our fears before the last precious days of our human existence. 
The amazing thing is that in turning and facing our fears, we are transformed. We discover that in going toward our fear, not only are we not engulfed by it, but we feel freer and more peaceful. We actually gain strength and clarity by acknowledging and exploring our fears rather than reacting to them. We realize that we don't need to eliminate our fears or even overcome them. Our freedom comes when we create a relationship with fear itself, standing with it rather than always struggling with it. Imagine a mythical land called separation. Along the border of this land moves the river called fear. Most of the people live on one side of the river and they stay as far away from it as they can. They go to great lengths to disguise the fact that this powerful and seemingly overwhelming force moves through our land. When it floods, taking over their lives, they run and hide and then come back to mop up the devastation that is left behind. Between floods, they distract themselves with things and experiences, gathering as many as they can, hoping against hope that this will hold back the river. This is not a happy land to live in. Everybody is rushing past one another, blindly racing from the fear that runs their lives. Lost in their fear of fear, they distract numb, judge, and struggle, never quite making a true connection with life. Fear of the river narrows them down to a very small part of the country, and they are unable to use the river for play, transportation, or even irrigation. Some individuals occasionally emerge from their disconnection and isolation just enough to feel that life must be more than this and they feel a longing to go and explore the river. But the pull of fear is strong enough that this rarely happens, and instead they slip back into distraction, hiding, and management. Most of us live in the land of separation. At times in our lives, each one of us is brought face to face with the deep river of fear within us. In the beginning, when we are dragged into the river of fear, we turn and run away as fast as we can but each time we are brought back to its banks, it becomes more evident that though we have tried to distance ourselves, it controls almost every aspect of our lives. Finally, we realize that it is in getting to know this river and learning how to harness its power for the good of the whole that we can finally become free. So we start spending more and more time in its banks getting to know our fears, and learning how to relate to them, rather than being lost in endless reaction. We still haven't willingly entered the river, except maybe to put a big toe in, but we're getting closer. From this developing relationship, there comes a day for each one of us when, standing beside the river, the weather clears enough that we can see the other side. Not only does its beauty astound us, but we can also see Jesus, Buddha, and other awakened beings living in this place beyond fear. We begin to get inklings that the freedom we so desperately search for in things, ideas, people, drugs, and experiences lies on the other side of the river. But we don't want to immerse ourselves in the swirling waters our fear of fear is so great that we look for every shortcut we can find. We rent helicopters and build fantastic boats that promise to keep us dry. We do our empowerment exercises, feeling at moments that we are strong enough to slay every fear. We do affirmations, hoping that if we just rise above the river, it will go away. At moments, we do find ourselves on the other side but there is a little sign on the gateway into this land that says, temporary visas granted to all people who transported themselves over the river, permanent visas granted to those who swim. After many brief visits to this magical land beyond the river of fear, only to find ourselves after a short time back on the other side, 
we know in the depth of our being that we have to get into the river. We have to dive in and allow life to support us in this mighty swim. The amazing thing is that the worst time of the journey is standing at the river's edge, ankle deep in water and feeling afraid. We look longingly back at the land of distraction where we have lived our whole lives, hoping against hope that some miracle will rescue us from this daunting task. We finally hold our breath and dive into our river of fear, and we discover an amazing thing. It feels just fine. From our former home far away, and even before we got into the water, we were absolutely certain that what we were looking at was a cold and devouring river of fear. We have been told since the day we were born that fear is something to be afraid of, and everybody around us lived as if this was so. As we dive into our fears, meeting them face to face, we discover they are noble adversaries sent from the depths of our being in order to develop within us the skills, the strength, and the wisdom that is our birthright. As we swim, with every stroke we learn more about the gifts of fear and the terrors that we had resisted our whole lives become our allies. While swimming through our body of fear, there are glorious times when we allow ourselves to be held by these healing waters as they slowly carry us across the vast expanse. There are also times when we struggle, feeling as if the river will engulf us. As we remember to quiet down, and allow ourselves to be held by the water, we discover that those who have made it to the other side are with us, cheering us on. The moment when our feet touch the gravel bottom after our swim is exhilarating, dancing and singing, we enter this land that doesn't fear fear, knowing that after a very long journey, we have finally arrived home. As we look back at the river, we realize that freedom doesn't come from eliminating fear. It comes when we honor and accept its role in our awakening. Fear is then transformed into an ally that hones our awareness and opens our heart. For a moment, we want to believe the illusion that we will never, ever leave this land again, but then we see all the people who are braving the river, the ones that are contemplating the swim, and even the ones far away that are doing absolutely everything in their power to ignore it. We know that we cannot stay here as long as they are our brothers and sisters still living in the land of fear. Willingly and joyfully, we swim back over again, taking on the body of fear, but it's different this time for we see that it is only fear, even though at moments we may get caught. Quickly and easily we remember the truth that we never again need to be afraid of fear, and because of that we can listen and learn from something we formerly hated and feared. Fear as the Doorway You gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. Eleanor Roosevelt Fear is the guardian at the doorway of our true nature. The heroes in the ancient stories had to steal the golden fleece from the den of the dragon, gather a whisker from the ferocious lion, or carry a treasure through the fires of the underworld. It wasn't that the gods like whiskers or fleeces. They gave seemingly insurmountable tasks to all true seekers because it was known that the road to true empowerment is the road of meeting fear. I was given the great gift in my life of taking on deep terror, when I was young, my mother was convinced my father was trying to make her go insane. She was a student of metaphysics and had an intellectual insight into life, but she was also run by paranoia, deep, deep 
paranoia and constantly tried to control every aspect of her life and of mine. A Rorschach test administered in my late teens described her as an incorporating and devouring mother. A number of years ago, I was at one of Stephen Levine's workshops. We were exploring forgiveness and had just closed our eyes to discover who we were willing to forgive. My mother came to mind, but I immediately discounted this. Oh, I have done my forgiveness work with her, I said. Vainly, I searched for someone else to forgive, but she kept on popping up. With a sense of resignation, I finally agreed. As I opened to her, rather than feeling the softening in my heart that had been a hallmark of my relationship with her lately, I felt terror. My heart began to pound. My mind became agitated and upset. I let go of the forgiveness work and attempted to see this terror, but it was like riding a bucking bronco slathered in oil, and I kept on being thrown off. At the end of the meditation, I made a dash for the microphone. My fear of revealing this fear in front of 600 people, most of whom I did not know, was nothing compared to the fear of being devoured by my mother. I was now meeting the terror of being engulfed that had been such a core part of my childhood. In my flurry of fear, I began to describe my experience, speaking rapidly. Stephen listened in his compassionate and attentive way. My fear seemed to gain more power as I spoke. Coming to the end of my torrent of words, there was a long pause that only increased my terror. And into that space, Stephen said something that changed my life forever. It is only fear. I didn't want to hear this in that moment. My fear was affronted and wanted to be acknowledged. It took me months before I was able to really understand what he meant when he said, most of our fear is our fear of fear. It was then that I committed to seeing and moving through the fears that had run my life. I realize now that one of the greatest gifts I was given is that the river of fear flooded the land of my being very early on and stayed that way for many years. Because I lived constantly in the waters of fear, there was no safe ground, no distraction that could make me ignore the water at my feet. Not even food, drugs, alcohol, or hyperactivity could numb me enough so that I knew moments of a surcease from fear. To be that flooded with fear set me on a journey down into the underworld of human existence, and that descent was long and terrifying. Along the way were images and experiences that paralyzed and overwhelmed me. I was certain that at the end of this descent, the mother of all demons would devour me. Instead, I discovered solid ground beneath my feet. And from the mouth of every ghoul and every rock wall I heard, you have not taken a wrong turn in your life. You are on the journey of awakening and are being given the opportunity to meet the fears that not only have run you, but all of humanity. The doorway out of the underworld is the doorway of attention. Listen, watch, and be keenly curious. After all, it's only fear. Meeting our fear is the work of a lifetime, but the gifts it brings are enormous. This journey is like a spiral. As we awaken, we discover on each and every rung the same fears. But the further we go up the spiral, the circles get smaller. We move through our fears more quickly, and our awareness becomes more spacious and connected. Stephen's words, it's only fear, gave me the courage to be present for the core fears that had run me my whole life. I'm not enough. There's no way out. Life is not safe. I'm all alone. 
I must be in control. As I have stood with these fears, rather than trying to hide from them, I have become more alive, more compassionate, much wiser, and I laugh a lot more. I have come to know a sense of belonging that was inconceivable before. For most of us, it takes years to get to the river, and once there we will do anything to avoid getting in and swimming. The writer Parker Palmer in an article shares a wonderful story from his own life that speaks about our fear of meeting our fear. In his early 40s, feeling that he was in the middle of a midlife crisis, one that he says started when he was about 17 and persists to this day, he decided to do an outward bound course at a place called Hurricane Island. After he got there, he jokingly said, I should have known from the name what was in store for me. The next time I will choose the program at Pleasant Valley or Happy Gardens. It was a week of sheer terror. It was also a week of amazing growth. In the middle of the course, he faced the challenge he most feared, repelling down a 110-foot cliff. After bumping and falling down to the first ledge, the instructor invited him to lean back as far as he could, reminding him that he had to get his feet at right angles to the rock face so there would be pressure on them. Parker knew that he was wrong. He knew that the trick was to hug the mountain to stay as close to the rock face as he could. After slamming into the next ledge, he finally, with great fear, tried what the instructor suggested, and, wonder of wonders, he began moving down the rock face, his eyes on the heavens. For a while, he thought he had it under control, but that illusion was shattered when an instructor called up from below, Parker, I think you better stop and look at what's happening beneath your feet. He goes on to describe what happened next. I lowered my eyes very, very slowly so that it wouldn't change my center of gravity, and there, beneath my feet, a large hole was opening up in the rock, which meant that I was going to have to change directions. I froze. I have never been so paralyzed in my life, so full of physical fear. I know I could do it if I could just keep on going straight, but I could not change directions. I just froze in sheer terror. The teacher let me hang there for what seemed like a very long time. Finally, she shouted up, Parker, is there anything wrong? To this day, I do not know where these words came from, although I have 12 witnesses that say I spoke them. But in a high, squeaky voice, I said, I don't want to talk about it. The teacher said then, I think it's time you learn the motto of the Outward Bound School. I thought, oh, Keen, I'm about to die and she's giving me a motto. But then she yelled up to me the words I will never forget, words that have been generally empowering for me ever since. She said, the motto of the Outward Bound Hurricane Island School is... If you can't get out of it, get into it. These words were so profoundly true for me at that existential moment that they entered my body, bypassed my mind, and moved my legs and feet. It was just clear that there was no way out of that situation except to get into it. No helicopter was going to come. They weren't going to haul me up on the rope. I wasn't going to float down. I had to get into it. And my feet started to move. (laughs) Thank you, Parker Palmer. In his willingness to meet his fear, he was empowered. In our willingness to go towards rather than away, we discover the door to our wholeness. The way we discover this is to get into the river. And just as the waters will support us if we stop fighting it, our willingness to recognize our fears will take us to the other side. 
whether it's the fear of pain, rejection, loneliness, or death that runs our lives, it is important to start digesting these fears in small increments. Just as with the river, we walk slowly out into the swift-moving current, becoming familiar with the little fears while our feet can still touch the ground. So I give you the invitation to spend a day noticing the fear that comes through your mind. I won't make the bus, the train, or the ferry. Oh, I'll gain 10 pounds with just this one bite. Oh, I'll be late. Oh, I'll say it wrong. Name the fear when you see it showing up in your story. And every time you name it, oh, this is fear. You have taken another step out of fear. And in your daily sit, if no fear is present, make a commitment to sit without moving even a finger until your body craves to move and still don't move. Watch carefully, for under that frustration and anger is fear. I was sitting quietly one day with my eyes closed, listening to myself, and I decided that I was not going to move. About five minutes into this experience, I noticed that my index finger was resting against my thumb, and my mind said, I want to move my finger. But my intention was not to move. Then my mind more insistently said, I need to move. And again, I just let that thought pass. Now my fear-based mind started going a little crazy. I have to move my finger. When I didn't respond to it, it started screaming. I have to move or I will die. Knowing I wouldn't die if I didn't move my finger and knowing that this was just fear, I watched it with great compassion and in a flash, like a bubble popping, it faded away. There was a feeling of freedom and I recognized even more deeply that most of our fears came from our imagination and have very little to do with what is actually going on. It is possible to get to know our fears well enough that they don't run us from underneath our everyday awareness. As we gain clarity from meeting the more mundane fears, we then have the strength and courage to meet the core fears, death, pain, rejection, that reside in the center of our story so that we can live on the other side of the river beyond fear. It is not that you must be free from fear. The moment you try to free yourself from fear, you create resistance against fear. Resistance in any form does not end fear. What is needed rather than running away or controlling or suppressing or any other resistance is to understand fear. That means to watch it, learn about it, come directly into contact with it. We are here to learn about fear, not how to escape from it, not how to resist it. Krishnamurti Our fears are the doorways to our wholeness. On some level, every single life is a mythical journey, one in which each one of us takes on a particular set of fears in order to propel us down the path of awakening. To go towards our fear is the healing. Rumi, a 13th century philosopher, poet, and scholar, had a wonderful poem about going through our fears. In this poem, he speaks of fire as that which we fear and water as the pleasure we hope will end our fears. If you are a friend of God, fire is your water. You should wish to have a hundred thousand sets of moth wings so you could burn them away one set a night. The moth sees the light and goes into the fire. You should see the fire and go toward the light. Fire is what of God is world-consuming. Water is world-protecting. Somehow, each gives the appearance of the other. To those eyes you have now, what looks like water burns. What looks like fire is great relief 
to be inside. Thank you, Rumi. It does take a long time to learn the absolute safety of turning toward our fears, towards our discomfort, towards our pain. But the more you do that with the little fears, the more you will discover that in everything that you tighten down around is a doorway. And you will walk through a thousand doorways until you discover there are no doorways to walk through and you will know true freedom. So whether you know it or not, you are on the journey through the river of fear back into life. Having been run by fear for the past two million years, humanity is on the threshold of a new perception, one in which we are transforming our relationship to fear. This transformation holds the possibility that all the parts of life, the dark and the light, the atoms, molecules and cells, the animals, insects and people, the dark skin, the light skin, the in-between skin, the water, the earth, the sky, the body, the mind, and the heart of every single being are recognized as a part of a unified whole. So give yourself and all of humanity the gift of meeting your fears and know every time you do, you're taking humanity another step into the healing it longs for. Namaste. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for listening to this edition of What's in Your Way is the Way with your host, Mary O'Malley. You can access Mary's offerings on her websites, maryomalley.com and whatsintheway.com. Join Mary next time to experience the peace and joy that is always with you on Evolutionary Voices for the Quantum Age. Heard Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.